Welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf, a former ESPN award-winning investigative journalist. Twice a week, we welcome on some of the most powerful and successful people in gaming and new media. Today, we're welcoming on Ludwig Agrin. Ludwig is one of the most successful content creators in the world, holding more than 3.4 million subscribers on YouTube. In November of 2021, he left Twitch behind at the peak of his popularity on the platform, instead signing a major deal with YouTube that allowed him to rapidly expand his business. In July, he hosted a live game show called Mogul Money inside the YouTube theater nested inside of the Los Angeles Rams SoFi Stadium. And now, after going through his journey alone, Ludwig has a team of 15 people behind him, and is trying to parlay his popularity into a sustainable business long term. We wanted the inside scoop on how he's doing it. So Ludwig Agrin, welcome to Visionaries. This is your first time here today. This is our twice weekly podcast that features some of the most powerful and successful people in gaming, new media, and the internet. And we've had more recently, uh, as he waves his hand on the camera, had more recently the likes of uh, yesterday with Jason Schreier, the Bloomberg reporter, had over the past few weeks, though, Marcus Bromander, the co-creator of Among Us, had Atriok and Maya Higa, who I'm sure if you're familiar with Lud, you are very familiar with both. I thought um, we were talking about and, powerful. You got Atriok uh, on this all of a sudden? He was great, to be honest. He, he was fantastic to we'll talk about. anyone on this podcast these days, Jacob. I know. Yeah, right. It's no, it's fun. Anyway, uh, thank you a lot for joining us. I just want you to explain very quickly and briefly to the people why we had to reschedule what what the situation was there and what you were doing, because I thought it was uh, pretty humorous. Yeah, Monday I do the Yard podcast and I was called like right after the podcast. And then Mr. Beast, who but Mr. Bean was like, yo, can you fly to Panama today? And so I was like, ah. and I do the whole groan thing, but it's hard to pass him up. I will say he is a man who usually gets what he wants. And, and, I, and I looked through my schedule haphazardly, totally forgetting that I had this and personal training and another meeting, <laughs> told him yes, and then had to deal with the repercussions of, of all three of those. That's okay. We, we forgive you. That sounds like a good, good reason. When Mr. Beast calls you answer, that's just kind of how things work. That's how it goes, so, I guess. Nonetheless, uh, that's that's pretty fun. I look forward to seeing what content came out of the the trip. <laughs> um, cool. Well, you know, we we got a little bit of your sort of origin story, and I know you did a, an interview a few months ago with Colin and Samir as well, talking about this. But Atrioc also kind of walked us through some of how you guys came up together and time at ASU and everything else. But we'll we'll fast forward a little bit. You have been in the esports space, the gaming space for a long time as both fan and creator. Uh, you and I first met through Smash many years ago um, at an event just to say hello before your more recent rise to popularity over the past few years. What made you want to go full-time content creation, though, in this sort of way? Going full-time wasn't really my choice. I was working at a job and then streaming on the side, and then I got let go, partially because the company was failing, partially because I was lame-ducking it after a deal I had spun together fell through. And I was just watching streams all day and thinking about what I would stream. And so I had like 7K in the bank account. And I always wanted 10K to go full time, which would have probably taken like another six months to get there. But I was like, yeah, close enough. And so I decided to go full time right there. 
But I didn't say that to my viewers. I lied. I was like, I'm going full time. It's my choice. It'll be super awesome. We're going to have way better content to spin it in a positive way as opposed to the reality, which was, hey, everything's going to shit, but I'm going to try to last second pull it out of my ass. <laughs> how how big was your channel and uh, your both your Twitch channel and YouTube channel at that point when you made that decision? Not not great. Not great. I, I don't even think I really had many YouTube videos at the time. Very, very few YouTube videos at all that were related to my stream content. Because obviously I'd had some YouTube videos from a long time ago about Super Smash Bros. And so I had about 10,000 subscribers from that. But every video I'd post of myself would would do much worse. And then my, I averaged about 100, I'd say 120 to 150 viewers at the time, which on Twitch, even though you know it's not that that many comparatively to a lot of other creators. It, it's about enough to live off of if you live somewhere pretty inexpensive. What was the inflection point? What was the moment that that number started to shoot up? Was there a certain piece of content that hit that made it hit? Was it you being posted on a subreddit or a Twitter viral moment? What, what was it that caused the inflection point for that number to skyrocket? It's hard to pinpoint one. And I, and I kind of love that about my channel and what's happened so far is is that I've never I've never one tricked it. There's never been one thing that's brought people in. And if you ask a group of like a hundred viewers, they might all have different reasons. The first one I can remember was I did an event called Scar vs. Fendi. It was a salty sweet Super Smash Brothers matchup at Evo, and I rented out like a penthouse suite, and I somehow convinced everyone to let me stream it on my channel, uh, and I hyped it up for weeks just creating assets for it sending it to all the competitors and they all tweeted it out and and that was a charity event and it and it raised a bunch of money and it drove i think over a thousand people multiple multiple thousands of people to watch it live vod of it still exists if you look up scarvers fendi on the reads channel which is a channel that i was editing so i kind of leveraged in a way my editing of that channel to be able to stream this event and that that was my first thing that I, I remember I had tripled in followers in the week leading up to the event because people wanted to watch it when it happened. So they're trying to like, you know, follow the channel. And I thought that was so sick because I had averaged like 30 viewers before then. And did you have sort of video production background at all other than obviously you went to school for journalism today, ASU, right? Yeah, journalism and English literature. And but did you have any background in sort of the higher level production stuff or were you just learning that by doing? Oh, no, I was just doing it. I I just downloaded when I worked at Apple, you get one of the perks, all their software for free. Uh, because obviously software, there's no cost to download per user. So I, I got Final Cut and I just started editing on on this this Mac that I got with my Apple discount. And I I started with like some videos that I had made of just like, you know, top 10 whatever. Easy cut compilations. Mostly the hardest thing is finding the videos, sourcing them. And then I ran a parody Twitter account called Unfiltered Tof, which was a parody of a commentator called Tof. Mm -hmm. And that amassed like 10,000 followers. And Tof thought it was funny. So he asked me to edit for the reads, which I didn't really know how to do, but I just pretended I did and then did it. You come up through a community that is highly supportive and highly engaged. I would say of all of the esports communities, Smash is the one that I it, it does its best, it feels like, collectively to uplift the people that, you know, come from that background and come from that community. I mean, I, I used to co-host a Smash show seven years ago, and I remember how big of a deal that was and getting flagged down at events and just people trying their best to help out and support. It was it's a very special community. How involved were they at sort of uplifting you at that very beginning when you started to kind of put 
you're all into this career. The Smash community? Yep. Yeah, they were super helpful. I mean, I was I was very into it. It was it was most of my life. It was most of my friend group, both in Arizona uh, when I was at ASU and when I moved to LA. It was all people I'd met through Smash. I mean, the people I live with now all met through Smash. And so it it was it was everything and it was my whole support group. And and the way I always thought of it is like it was more like everyone in the Smash community was starved, you know? Like we are the table and we're trying to get that trickle down economics and just eat what we can eat, you know, but they're like any creator who would make a video, they'd be like, finally, somebody, anyone who'd make a podcast, they'd be like, finally, somebody, even if it sucked, the old melee it on me podcast with, with blur mm. and all those guys that sucked. I used to listen to it cause I was that into smash. It was three and a half hours of uncut talks after tournaments about the tournament. Just rambling. It, but it was like, that's all we got. So, you know, enjoy what we got. Can't be greedy. Can't be, um, yeah, we, everyone was very humble, I would say, which made it very easy to make content in the space because they were down for anything. If I remember correctly on the timeline, you were on a pretty slow, uh, definitely up into the right curve in your career as a creator in 2019. I remember Genesis of 2020 coming by your booth and seeing what you were doing and, and some of the stuff that you were selling kind of there early on. But it feels like you had this rapid ascendancy during 2020 and 2021 and partly, you know, people being inside consuming more content. What what changed when when it when and everything went into lockdown and you started making more stuff from home? Well, the website doubled. Twitch literally doubled in size. Just go to twitchtracker.com and then you look at the charts you can see that they have like, you know, concurrent viewers, concurrent streams, every single thing that you look at over the past four years, there's just a spike in March of 2020, April, 2020. And, and luckily I'd been making content for a couple of years at that point already. And I had done Twitch Jeopardy, which was a game show that was just Jeopardy with Twitch streamers. And it wasn't even face cams. I used like little PNGs <laughs> and I did one of those yeah. flat Connor eats pants Slimesicle and Carson. And that was the first video I'd ever posted that 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 did well because they, they were part of the big Minecraft resurgence at the time. And so everything was at a head. And then Pog Champs, blessed Pog Champs, decided to run a tournament the exact like month basically that COVID started to hit. And I was a part of that. And that tournament blew up. And and I would just say dumb shit. And so they would put me on their front page while they were waiting for breaks. They would farm me for content. And I would farm them for for lull Ws, and then it was just a like a ascendance where there was you know something comes around among us, you grow, you fall, something comes around, rust, you grow, you fall, and that's kind of how streaming is. It's very, it's not like a, a straight up line. It's like a spike up, and then a sharp fall, and then stagnate, spike up, you know, and then you hope it over time goes up. You're in this group, and we talked to Atrioc about this a few weeks ago, too. You're in this group of people who is post the Shroud and Ninja deal to Mixer when both of them leave the platform. And rather than what I think maybe Microsoft thought would happen at the time, which would be a lot of the audience would go with them, some of the audience did, but a lot of it just stayed on Twitch and found something else to consume. And we saw a lot of streamers get a massive spike off of this kind of audience that was kind of just felt like they were almost in the directory looking for new content. Dr. Disrespect saw another big spike off of that too prior to his ban. XQC saw a major spike off of this as well. And I would say you're in, in that sort of part of that group as well that you know a lot of other people that were on the site and just looking for something new found 
you and found everybody else. In addition to your own individual organic growth from the work you were doing, why do you think that people remain on Twitch in that sort of way, that they don't leave its ecosystem? Uh, And then I would say the second part of that question, is that changing? I think people like to think they are fans of a streamer. But if everyone's like stepping back, you realize that you are a fan of the website and and maybe a circle of, of streamers. Because most people are are very simple. Like they have maybe one person that they will always watch if they are on. You know, I, I like Germa. Germa's on, I'm going to watch Germa. Germa's not live, then I'm like, all right, who are the other people that I like like clicking amongst? You know, maybe uh, Cutie, Atrioc, Stans, whoever. Uh, and then it's like, okay, none of them are online. What are the games I like to watch? And the thing about Twitch is it, it really does have its own culture. And so it doesn't matter who you watch. They know the culture. They'll be a part of it. And you can immediately hop in and it won't feel weird watching somebody brand new as opposed to like watching a new YouTuber where there's much less of a sense of culture. And it's a totally different experience if you watch Tom Scott versus Abroad in Japan versus Ludwig, which it's much more. What's the word? Homogeneous? Homogeneous? That's the one. Homogeneous. Uh, and so that's what it felt like. And I don't think people realize how big of a fans they were of Twitch until maybe their favorite streamer started to leave Twitch. And they're like, okay, well, maybe I liked more than just this guy. And what I realize is people are super replaceable. Streamers are very replaceable. They're not that important. That leads me to a point that I wanted to ask about maybe later, but maybe this is the appropriate time to talk about it, which is the clicks that form around Twitch and Twitch streamers and the collaboration that happens between all of you. And that feels like now kind of post third vaccination shot where everybody's feeling a little bit more comfortable to get out that that has become increasingly more and more and more. Obviously, you've thrown in person events since you've whether that be like uh, mobile money, sort of a actual event itself in an arena or just like the Beyblade tournament that was a much smaller. Right. The, that was and, cutie. That was cutie. Can't take credit. Y- yes, I know. I know. But you credit to you the particip- You were participated. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But there. There certainly are these groups of people that inherently they almost, you know, you're very connected. Collaboration's core part of it. I think of like Tim the Tapman, Dr. Lupo, and Courage is one of those like groups of guys, right? They're all very close to each other. They collaborate with each other a lot. Then there's yourself and Cutie and Atrioc and Mayahiga and Stans and occasionally Myth, now Mr. Beast, et cetera. You're all sort of connected. You're in each other's content. Sort of all, you know, all boats or all tides uh, raise all boats or whatever the sort of acronym or sorry, uh, analogy is there. Why do you think it's really important to build that collaborative content and do more than just games? Well, I think the idea is the same logic that would bring you to create a content team like OTV or OTK. But when you have many people, then you as an individual have a higher floor because you are constantly creating content with these people and so you know hey maybe nobody's really watching Saikuno this month but he's part of the sussy sunday in played up and everybody's watching leslie and they'll still get Saikuno content and in that way you can never really fade from like uh you, you never drift off into obscurity because because you're always being exposed to people in some way, as opposed to like if you are totally on your own island and you don't collaborate with anybody at all, if you start to like, you know, fall off a bit, 
like people say, there's nothing that you're exposed to. You're not exposing yourself to other people in other ways. Uh, so I think that's why there's so many collaborative things that happen. It makes streamers feel much more comfortable. It's also easier to do, you know, to just play a game with a friend and hee hee and ha ha, as opposed to just talk to a camera, talk to chat. I think that's that's honestly a little harder. So I think I think those are reasons why that 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 phenomenon happens. I think what what's part of what sort of blows me away about the influencer industry more generally is the fact that. Mr. Beast aside, because he's a, a phenomenon to himself, but streamer content is relative to television production, et cetera, relatively low cost, right? It's it's a lot of effort time-wise, and you can value your time however you want based off of what you think you should make, but the actual production behind it can be very, very low cost, whether it be a phone or just a, a you know, sort of DSLR on a stick or whatever you're doing based off of what you're putting together. But the advertising interest is massive because obviously you guys are where what the a, a certain generation of people call it 13 to 25 are super interested in. And as someone that has maybe a little bit more critical eye of that, considering what you went to school for and understanding what the media industry looks like, how do you think that's changed new media at large and where money is being spent? I think there's a lot more money being spent on streamers, YouTubers. I think that only increases, but I still think we're five years out from like some of the bigger money actually understanding the spaces. You know, it still goes to a lot of traditional media. Like if you ever talk to a VC, VCs are dumb as f bro. You talk to a VC and they only know Mr. Beast and you have to explain what like a Twitch streamer is through only Mr. Beast and Ninja, which is crazy. It's like trying to draw the Mona Lisa with crayons. <laughs> so it, it, it there is uh, definitely a lot of people who work at these companies who are very smart, but they're also still run by boomers. So we're not all the way there yet. But like, it's so obvious that like the value you get for the cost of an activation with like Pokemon is miles higher than if you were to do it through a, probably a much more expensive route and do it with like, I don't know, Angels baseball team, right? Because they have a way bigger sales team and, and the value you get is just... I, it's just, I think, bigger with streamers because they're generally inexpensive. Then again, there's another problem, though, where it's only the big streamers who get paid out because they're, like, known. Like, Ninja still gets all the brand deals. Outside of his name recognition, Ninja's not getting more viewers than, like, you know, most yeah, like of the other big guys. The 150 or 200 ranked streamer on Twitch nowadays. Yeah, he's not, not in the top percentage. He's getting paid more per brand deal you can imagine than the like hundred people above him. Cause because again, what do the they know? They know brand recognition, name recognition. So yeah, I don't know. I think all those companies are still pretty slow, but they're changing. The other part I want to talk about brand deals relative is the responsibility, right? Because one of the things that makes them so valuable, that makes you all so valuable as influencers and creators with brands is that there is a level of parasocial relationship and trust that your audience has in you. If you tell your audience to do something, the likelihood that they will do it is fairly high or at least try. And if that is to go sign up for a sponsor or do whatever, you know, whatever the plug is, basically, you have a pretty decent shot. They feel like they're connected to you in some sort of way. There is a, a side of that, though, that is almost a cautionary tale, right? Is depending on what brand deal it is. If it's a crypto gambling website or if it's something a little bit more unsavory that you take, and obviously you've seen a rise on that at Twitch, how do you evaluate that responsibility when you are looking at the brand deals that come in front of you? Yeah, I think it's not 
definitely streamers have a higher conversion rate than like Matt Damon on crypto.com saying, hey, buddy, be bold and lose all your fucking money real quick. And, and streamers have a higher conversion rate, but obviously a much smaller net of people they can reach with their sponsor, with their message. And that trade-off, like you're saying, you should maybe value what you're advertising a bit more because more of the people who are watching you will download the thing than if a Matt Damon says it, who obviously reaches more people, converts less. For me, it's always been if the sponsor can add to the content in some way, then I'm down to do it. Like I think probably my favorite sponsor I've done in the past year was with Top Gun. And it was like, I mean, as shilly as you can get. Like I had an overlay <laughs> that said, you know, Ludwig's Top Guns, Maverick, there was planes. And my, my challenges had to be, you know, very specific to what the brands wanted. But I was still able to make it my own thing and my own contest where I, I thought at least it was fun to watch and the viewership reflected that. But I think viewers are more perceptive than people give them credit for. If you're doing a sponsor that's for a truly dog shit mobile game, the viewership drops off immediately because they're not dumb. They know this is boring as hell and you just want me to download this mobile game so they won't watch. And so that's why you're almost incentivized to make sure that whatever you're advertising is good content and is something people will enjoy, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, it's a it's a more sophisticated consumer, right? The a born of the internet, come up on the internet. They understand how to differentiate between, yeah, this person is just here to sell me something versus this person's genuinely interested in what they are promoting. Right. Yeah. And then there's dangerous things too that 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 you know are on both sides, like gambling, where it gambling is good content. It's just exciting to gamble. That's why there's predictions on Twitch. People like gambling. It's a human thing. But then also getting paid to do it. It's like, oh, okay, now that's scary because you're taking something that's like people like watching and you're getting paid to promote it to people so that I, I think that's like one of the few examples i would say it's an outlier because generally you're not going to have something that's that bad for you that that you can advertise it, right right it's just about threading the needle especially when a lot of the top streamers on twitch are not a lot, but a few of the sort of top 15 streamers on twitch are primarily gambling streams and those guys right. have a big audience size. Yeah, X and Train Gamble. We can say it. They know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, like, I, it's... I've been very critical of that. I, I right. called out X when he was doing it illegally with a VPN here in Texas, which is breaking the law. But yeah, yeah. But you could imagine if they were to boot up a gotcha game, like if they're paying playing Genshin Impact, their viewership would drop off, and then they would right. be incentivized to stop doing that thing. So I think, in a way, sponsors generally regulate themselves in what streamers will take and what streamers won't take um, because of the viewership that comes from it. Yeah, right. That makes sense. So I want to ask this, and I do want to get a time to audience questions because I know you have a hard out, but we will... Uh, I want to ask a couple different questions about your decision to leave Twitch and go to YouTube and how that's going. And I want to start with, with first, how many hours a... a day or week whatever is easiest for you to recall were you live on twitch before you made that decision uh i'd have to check i think i averaged about 130 hours a month 120 to 130 is usually the number that i would sit on it's about like i try to do four hours a day every day something we heard from a lot of the early people to migrate to other platforms whether that be mixer may it rest in peace or youtube more recently i think of like courage and valk and some of the other people who were first to the platform 
and in these new big platform deals is they talked about that it wasn't necessarily less work, but it was more consistent and you could build your life. You could build the rest of your business. In their case, obviously, their involvement with 100 Thieves and some of the other things that they've done. Was that a motivation for you to have you know, the ability and time rather than to have to be live all the time to generate that revenue to have something a little bit more baseline consistency? Yeah, yeah. I think I was always excited about doing big events. And I liked the idea of YouTube being like here and it's a comically large-sized money bag. And then I can start doing that immediately as opposed to on Twitch where it wasn't, it wasn't as juicy it wasn't as like um it would have been much more nerve-wracking to the uh, to have 15 employees as i do now in the events that i'm trying to run over the next year and in the margin at which those events run with the amount of money that i was given from twitch and so i, I literally at when i entered negotiations i was like i'm staying with twitch i love twitch culture here is great but i was also in that same vein of thought i was like i have to do a subathon to make enough money to be able to do the event i want which is which was crazy, which was crazy to me after I stepped back. I was like, it's crazy that you are willing to give up a month of your life just so you can do a cool event you want. And so I was immediately able to do it with YouTube. And I don't think I would have done Mogul Money on the timeline I did it if I was still at Twitch or the Smash event that we just announced yesterday, which will be the most stacked Smash tournament in the past like five years for like each game. Mm. Um, if I was still on Twitch, I just I wouldn't be able to spend that much up front. I don't expect you to go into dollar specifics. But how big compared to what you were offered to Twitch? What was the difference between Twitch and YouTube? It was a little under 2x, I think, by the end of it. In, but that's not just in money terms. That's also in hours committed, which I don't think people consider. Because Twitch is a very simple model. The longer their streamers are live and the more often they run ads and get subs, the more money the website makes. And so they just want they just want both those numbers to go up. But for me, it's like, hey, I'd rather stream less, but do something really, really cool. And that doesn't line up with their goals. I think internally, there's a lot of people at Twitch who like that. And I think they understand that makes the platform bigger as a whole. And those are like cool things that people remember, you know, like everything you buy does. But it, it also doesn't help their bottom line as as quickly and as pointedly as just stream 160 hours, dumbass, and then throw three minutes of ads on every hour. Because that's like, they see direct money from that. So so considering both hours and, and the money, it was it was like about 2x. And how much time now are you investing in uh, live content versus VOD content? It's dropped a lot, which I'm not super pumped about. A part of it is I've been boomed with like traveling. But I also allow myself to do that. Like, I think I'm working more. For the first time in my life, I had a moment where I was like, I am tired. I really don't want to work. Like this past month, I, I think part of that's like with all the traveling. But like if Mr. Beast had called me and I'm supposed to be in a Mr. Beast video, if I was on Twitch, like that, that would eat away at my soul. I'd be like, no, I have to be live. I'm going to miss two days of streams. And nowadays I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And so I've, I've dropped to like, I'm somewhere between like 80 to 100 hours each month when I'm on YouTube. And I'd like to sit at 100 if I could. That, that's my goal. You know, like three hours a day. That seems nice to me. In terms of building the business to support what you're doing around you, but also building things that aren't tangentially linked to your personal, you know, uh, brand and personal popularity. One thing I've always talked to streamers and even esports players about is that longevity and the anxiety that comes with the longevity of like, what if my career is over tomorrow? Right. And sometimes that leads to really bad brand deals like we were talking about earlier, where it's like get as much money as humanly possible in the shortest amount of time. Take whatever comes my way. Don't evaluate. 
obviously that's really toxic and leads some really to really bad things. But now you are building a business. You just mentioned the 15 people that are work for you now, but you are building a business that has things other than just content creation, live events, et cetera, things that you are putting together around it. What are you trying to build for the future? And and is it all tied to Ludwig being the most popular influencer on you know in gaming, et cetera? Or is there is there a world where if that goes away, that's okay. You have other things to do. Yeah, I think it's dumb. I, I know I'm going to fall off. Every MFR on the website's going to fall off at some point. All right. Try to name five actors that were popular 100 years ago. You can't. So, like, yeah, 100 years from now, every single person on the website will have obviously fallen off. And, and so I'm ready for that. And I think if you're not thinking about how this could be the last day that you will have the followers you have, the viewers you have, then I think you're, you're too... You're too cocky. You're too, you're too comfortable in your own britches. Uh, and, and as far as like, well, if that's the case, then maybe get all the money I can now. I think that's also dumb. At least for the level I'm at, I'm very happy with just having like one million bucks. If I have a million dollars when it all falls to shit, I think that's great. All right. And then I can boot up some sub shop and I'll work there. That's fine with me. I'd be happy with that. All right. If I can ride my Vespa, catch sunset every night, that sounds great. That's a great life. I can't complain about that. People would love that life. So I, I'm down to throw everything at the wall and, and do the coolest things we can. And one of the things that I'm pivoting to, especially in the past few months, is not just being the face of the things that we make. So I, I think it's been leaked a bit, but we've been working on a show with X, XQC for a while now. And, and I think we should have a pretty huge announcement for that this month. Uh, but I, I just had a thought. I was like, why do I have to be in front of the camera for everything? I'm not that great. You know, I'm not that special. I'm not that funny. I think I'm decent at hosting. I think, I think I tell a decent story or two, but I'm not the end all be all. And I'm going to slowly, as I get older, be more and more out of touch with the people who enjoy being in this space. So, so it'd be cool if I could at least still touch a part of what the next generation will like. And let's quickly glaze over the fact that I said touch the next generation, Jacob, if you have anything else, any other question that was worded poorly on my part. No, I, I know what you mean, though, because I'm kind of walking through a little bit of the same steps in my career, right? I'm a, I was the big ESPN reporter for a period of time, and I go I made a life decision a couple years ago that's, let's be the producer. I'll be the face of these things short term, but long term, we'll put everybody else in front of the, the spotlight, right? And I'll just win the subject matter expertise to everyone else. And I, I think that that's smart. It's probably better for uh, both yours and mine uh, mental health long term too that we don't have to be superhuman every single day so <laughs> yeah so yeah, i think it's, right. i think it's vain if you want to be in front of it at all times i think it's oh too it's vain. It, and it's exhausting it's exhausting i don't do it nearly as frequently as you do and it's just exhausting it, it's a tough it's it's fulfilling at its best but it's it's still even just it's a grind so, all right, we're going to open up to audience questions because you kind of answered uh, both what I had in that last one, and, and thank you for that. Um, so the first one we're going to call up is going to be Adam Antor, returning listener to the show. Adam, you're going to get an invite from my team to come up and speak. So, Ludwig, you have set quite the bar for events as a mode of content with mogul money. Uh, it was awesome to watch. Um, are you going to produce another live event like that? And if so, what do you think it'll look like? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I have a live event planned for the end of the year that I haven't gotten to announce yet, but it has been a nightmare working on it in a great way. Because, um, you know, I think the more work I put into it, the more gratifying the payoff will be. But I also don't think I'm setting the bar. I think I, 
I'm trying to get close to the bar, but I think the bar is set creatively by somebody like Jerma, and I think it's set uh, like in terms of raw output by somebody like Ebai. So I, I I think I'm I'm more on the forefront than than a lot of big names, you know, like like XQC or Hassan or people who don't put effort into those things. But but I, I I'm flattered by your your words, Adam. Yeah. Next question is going to be from Star Guardian Jord. See if they're in the audience and respond. Star to Guardian right. is this a League of Legends skin? Incarnate? It's got yeah, it's got to be a League of Legends inspired <laughs> name, clearly, right? So, um, sorry, I, I I'm gonna be honest. I was doing something else and I heard my name and nearly lost my mind. Um, uh, yeah, I'm proud Ludbud here uh, from the UK. Sorry if you can't understand what I'm saying. Um, I wanted to ask. So, I actually work for a game studio, and I've always been interested. Uh, what is it that you do to overcome playing a game that you're not fully interested in for a sponsorship, or is your, do you have like a level of integrity and, and be a bit more selective in what you choose to do a sponsorship for or create content for? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a good question. I I'm, I don't think I've taken, I don't think I can count more than like maybe one or two times where I've taken a sponsor for a game that I wouldn't actually play or actually enjoy. I did a Raid Shadow Legend sponsor for a Smash tournament but it was very tongue-in-cheek, like, hey, Smash community, download this game, and then every download, it was very one-to-one, -one, we will increase the amount of money. And we, and we put basically all the money back at the event for prize pool to pay out, you know, amazing community members, uh, casters, things like that. Uh, so that was, like, one example of, like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get this shitty-ass mobile game, but we're going to get it with a good purpose and sometimes, in my mind, you know, gotcha money has its value. But most of the time, I, I would only take something from something I like. More recently, I think like the Uno event, going into that, I thought I'd have a lot more control over how that went. I liked the game of Uno. And then I realized I didn't. So it's like, that was an experience that I came out of. And it's like, okay, I have to, in negotiations, make sure I have control over how these things will go, even if it's a game I like. But it's definitely something I think about. Thank you for the question, Jord. And also, I just want to say the game that you work on, Sea of Thieves, is fantastic and has made me be happy for many, many, many hours. So thank you for what you do. What Appreciate game? you being here. Sea of Thieves. Is you work on Sea of Thieves? Yeah. See if these uh, nuts fit in your mouth, George. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, thanks, Lud. You're, you're going to get... Uh, Twitter gaming's in this space. They're just going to disconnect the line here shortly. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, all right. Well, uh, last question is going to be from Tinker. Do you think, in general, management and representation for streamers and new media creators has found itself some stability by this year, or has the growth and possibility been faster than the ability to value that exposure slash influence? Bro, who wrote this? Shit? That's like a professional ass question. Business question. Yeah, yeah sounds like come, came, came from me. Yeah, save it for calling our Samir. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I don't even think it's a, about catching up because streamers have grown. I think it's about management itself, especially in esports. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently because the Hundred Thieves Frosty situation has been oh, notoriously yeah. predatory and for, for many, many years on a lot of normally really, really young, either pro gamers or content creators. You know, because everyone who gets in this space is very, very young and they get signed into deals in the same way that would happen to like sports players for, for decades. 
that that aren't beneficial to them. And so I've been very wary of that. And I've never signed with a management team. I've never signed with an esports org. And I've always done everything myself because I haven't trusted anyone I've talked to. I remember early on, I got a call with, and I'll name drop here because I think it's funny, CAA, which is a huge management group. Uh, you got the mug rocking. Are they? Part I, I'm of, a for, they, I'm a former client. I'm a UTA client, client now, okay. but yeah, used to be. Used to be. <laughs> no, 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 no. Go for it. I have but no they're allegiance huge. They're anymore. Huge. I think California Actors <laughs> uh, Agency is that it? Or California Artists Agency? Or uh, sorry, Creative Card Artists Agency. Okay. Yes, they're one of the three big talent agencies in Hollywood. They're huge. Yeah, yeah. and they have a lot of people yeah. and, and, and actors, musicians, and they've signed a lot of streamers. And I remember hopping on the call early on. I averaged like maybe nine thousand viewers. It's like right after Pog Champs. And I and it and it felt bar for bar like a conversation you would see in a movie with a Hollywood agency. And it's like, mm -hmm. wait, we're gonna make you a big shot. You're gonna be one of the big guys now. We're gonna sell you for buku bucks. What do you want to do out here? You you want to be like ninja? Uh, and and I was like, what what are you doing here? Like, be realistic with me. And so that turned me off pretty early. Having said that, I think there's some players in the space who definitely understand very well have a lot of analytics and data and they're able to fetch better deals and people have been a lot less, I think, predatory. So I, th I think it's it's swinging better as time moves on yeah. and as as the, the sphere is much more in the public eye, you can't get away with as much shady shit. Yeah, I, I want to end on that just from a question from me because that will be the last audience question we take. Sorry, everyone. Uh, I know there are like a billion of them. For this Sorry, space. thank you. But I, I want to uh, I want to ask about, you mentioned the Frosty 100 Thieves situation and I have been kind of torn over it personally, right? I'm an old, I'm an old timey esports person, even though I'm, I'm putting air quotes on the video for the people that can't see. I'm an old timey esports person. I've only been around since 2014, meaning I have, you know, I'm used to the 70 to 80 hour a week grind. Um, thankfully now for myself, but used to be for others, and and it was not thanked for or paid well enough for in many different instances. And I think that a lot of us have this mentality that if you are going to make it, you're going to be big time. That's the sacrifice you you make. Throw away the rest of your life. Don't have family. Don't have pets. Don't have you know significant other, et cetera. Throw it away. Sink your, your nose in and, and just put it nose to the grindstone. Just do it. And at the same time, I'll be honest, and I've been vocal about this on social media. It didn't seem like Frosty was doing that based off the analytics that we've seen in terms of the commitment of hours, streaming like nine hours a week or whatever. You just mentioned that you currently stream about 25 a week and that you used to stream close to 40 a week or 45 a week. So what is what is your overall take on that situation and, and looking at it and, and how do you feel in terms of balancing those two things? Working hard enough, but not, not hard enough, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I certainly think that in almost every industry, there's a level of survivorship bias where people will always think it's because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps harder than the next guy. And it's easy to then, when you're at the top, be like, you just got to pull yourself as hard as I did, kiddo. But I would rather be in the space and leave the space where it, it is a better work-life balance. I know so many creators who get burnt out, so many creators who are genuinely miserable for long stretches of time, even though they have many, many followers, many, 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 many bucks in their bank account. That's not all that matters. And so, yes, the people who work harder will generally benefit more from, from their work, from the fruits of their labor. Having said that, we should also be in an industry where we can give people, you know, a nice work-life balance. For this specific example, I think I side with 100 Thieves. I think the only thing they did that was super fucking cringe and predatory was having a contract 
that was 85% in the favor of 100 Thieves. That is fucking insane and terrible. So even if they're exercising, by the way, only we're taking 35%. Putting that in writing is like like demon mode. That's demon mode. That's absurd. It should be the flip, you know? So that's the one thing where like, I don't want to, I don't want to let slide by, but I mean, certainly with the resources that they had, the, the mob, and I think more specifically Frosty, because I think people like classy classes really worked hard. his ass off. Yeah. 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 Um, Give him some props. Yeah. I, I think they didn't work nearly hard enough. And I think it comes down to not enough guidance, young, naive, door dashing every day, buying a house that's way too expensive, not really knowing what to do, and just assuming that if we all live together, it'll magically come together, which isn't how it works. Glenn, on the positive note, I will say on that front, because, and Devin Nash said this in a recent video he made on this situation as well, is that it's not over. Like, Frosty, I think, is 24 now. He was 20, 21, when, or 19, 20, 21, when he was working actively with 100 Thieves a few years ago, yeah. right? This, there is still time to recover from this. This is probably not the best way to recover from it, but nonetheless, there is time to recover from the mistakes, even yeah. if it doesn't feel like you have that time, because influencer life, it feels like if you make one mistake, you know, it stings you forever, but that's not true. People can recover. Not at all. I started at 23, 24. So it's like, <laughs> from where I was when I was his age, he's doing better than me. So, you know, certainly there's nothing but upside. That's all for our show. If you enjoyed this episode of Visionaries, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Special thanks to Sammy Dag and Prem Thodamkara for helping with this episode. We'll see you on Tuesday. <laughs>